Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday mailbag edition. No mucking around this time, no fancy intros. We've got some Elon Musk to talk about. When I say we, I mean me, Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool, and him, Andrew Page, founder and managing director of strawman.com. Mr. Page, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yes, it is afternoon. Good afternoon. It's always afternoon on podcast land, mate. This is Sunday midday. That's true. That's as you true. as you well know. <laughs> I forgot. Podcast theatre of the mind and all that. <laughs> mate, uh, we are recording this on Thursday as we as we always do. But you know, a bit of theatre of the mind never hurts. And it's well, it's actually two minutes to twelve on Thursday. Let's let's date stamp it. So it's still morning officially, but thank you for being kind enough to say it was afternoon. Um <laughs> mate, let's get straight into it. Okay. Elon Musk. So mm. we're supposed to we're, look, this is supposed to be a mailbag episode. We will do mailbag episodes, I promise. I promise, I promise. Uh, but we had some late breaking news uh, just as we were wrapping up. I think it was actually a little bit earlier. I, I only saw it as we were wrapping up this morning. Uh, and uh, Elon is Elon's being Elon. Uh, let me let me uh, let me read out his full email. Anyone who wishes to do remote work must be in the office for a minimum of a minimum brackets and I mean minimum of forty hours per week or depart Tesla. This is less than we ask of factory workers. If there are particularly exceptional contributors for whom this is impossible, I will review and approve those exceptions directly. Moreover, the office must be a main Tesla office, not a remote branch office unrelated to the job duties. For example, being responsible for Fremont Factory Human Relations, but having your office in another state. Thanks, Elon. He then followed that up, mate. Uh, The subject of the follow-up was, to be super clear. He then goes on, quote, everyone at Tesla is required to spend a minimum of 40 hours in the office per week. Moreover, the office must be where your actual colleagues are located, not some remote pseudo-office. If you don't show up, we will assume you have resigned. The more senior you are, the more visible must be your presence. That is why I lived in the factory so much, so that those on the line could see me working alongside them. If I had not done that, Tesla would long ago have gone bankrupt. There are, of course, companies that don't require this, but when was the last time they shipped a great new product? It's been a while. Tesla has and will create and actually manufacture the most exciting and meaningful product of any company on earth. This will not happen by phoning it in. Thanks, Elon. Mm. <laughs> is it just me, mate, or has he long ago jumped the shark? So I was speaking to my wife this morning about various Elon-isms, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I, think it's, I think it's actually a sign of... Um, it happens. It happens with a lot of very, very successful people, uh, and you know, you could even put it into the the acting realm and stuff. I think when you are surrounded by yes men and sycophants, mm. you've got no one to keep you in check. So after a while, you know, I mean, how long could you resist it? Maybe, yeah. maybe you become the richest man on earth, Scott Phillips. You have a b- bunch of people around you, you know, courtiers, mm. and you know, maybe for five or ten years, you kind of remain pretty grounded. I, I think it's really, really hard to. I think mm-hmm. there's no one there. Who is going to say, dude, <laughs> Elon, <laughs> what the hell are you smoking, pull, pull, man? Bring it in tight. Yeah, exactly. Well, you we know, know he's been smoking. That's part of the problem. But, <laughs> but go on. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel as though this mm-hmm. is the danger of extreme success yeah. is is that you, you lose, you, you're not as grounded as you perhaps need to be. The rest of us mm. mere mortals just get constantly... Mm put back in our place which is probably healthy overall mm-hmm. um so i don't know if that's part of it but you know when you you, you can only be told you're a genius for so long before you start to actually internalize that and believe it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably when when some some you know start doing some saying some crazy things i uh i have said and i will happily now include tesla in this latter group uh i've long said that if you gave me a list of companies two groups of companies one group that allowed flexible work and the other one that made you be in the office I would happily bet that the former group would meaningfully outperform the latter group on the ASX over a long enough period of time. Call it world markets, so the ASX. Tesla obviously isn't on the ASX. Um, not individually. Some will do well, some will do badly individually, independently, and for different reasons. Mm-hmm. But if you... And look, Tesla might be the exception, quite honestly, because Musk has created such a cult, uh, and I use that word deliberately, uh, of Tesla, both for the staff and customers, that maybe there are so many people lining up to be touched by the glory of... Musk's miraculousness that he can he can simply just choose and pick whoever he wants, treat him as badly as he wants, churn him out, and keep going. If you've got if you've got a endless supply of cannon fodder 
and they're happy to you know they're volunteering to walk in the door get hit by a cannon and walk out the door again then I guess you can have whoever you want you can set whatever whatever rules you want and maybe that's true uh, so maybe Tesla is the exception but uh, if you're we are everyone is in a war for talent right now we've talked about that before uh, I certainly on the good oil the other podcast that we do uh, have talked about to, to CEOs about exactly the war for talent and if you're trying to get talent and people who are that talent and who want the best possible working conditions and working arrangements very few of them are going to say can I please work somewhere with no workplace flexibility most are going to say oh I like being in the office but I'd like to be flexible please yes thank you or I actually would prefer to work from home or I want flexibility the, the, the odds that you end up with a industry beating uh, business with people who are choosing to be there and the best people because you offer the best products, the best experiences, the best workplace, the best management style. Uh, I will absolutely bet a very large amount of money on the first group, the group that provides flexible working. It looks like a whole lot of other stuff, but it's indicative of a culture of valuing those employees, attracting and retaining the best employees and helping do their best work. Mm. Uh, as opposed to a business that says you must be here, I must want, I look, want to look over your shoulder. It's the number of hours in the office that matters, mm. not the actual work you do. For a new economy company, albeit a manufacturing one, to believe somehow that counting the hours is what determines quality work is it blows my mind. Mm. Um, and Musk of all people must, at some level, know that. I don't want to. I don't really care to speculate what is motivating him. I just I find the whole thing bizarre, completely, totally bizarre. Mm. You've got the best people doing the best work offer them the best conditions and treat them well. Uh, this, this I'm going to be looking over your shoulder. I'm going to be counting the minimum number of hours you're in the office. I mean, spare me. Again, maybe it, maybe it works. Maybe you can, you can, you know, chew them up and spit them out and chew them up and spit them out. There's volunteers who are just, you know, sadistically walking in the door and saying, yep, or masochistically, whichever one that is, um, you know, come, come and, you know, use me and abuse me and, and then, you know, get rid of me when I'm no longer useful to you. I guess if you can create that sort of cult, then good luck to you. But um, I, I, I find it bizarre. Bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah you know, <laughs> At the same time, he's doing some pretty cool stuff. <laughs> so it's just it's one of these. We, we love to think in binary. People people love or hate, you know, insert name here. People mm. are more complicated than that. There's, you know, I'm, I, 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 I can both respect and admire him and at the same time think in a lot of ways he's like, he's just off the deep end. So. Oh, totally. I think that's absolutely. That's, and, yeah. that, and that's to your point that, you know, genius is not universal, right? You can, you can get a lot of stuff right and get a lot of stuff wrong. That's why a lot of entrepreneurs end up being chief technology officers or chief innovation officers let someone else run the company because they were mm. just, it's very, 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 very unlikely one person has the entire skill set required to be a whole person, particularly with a large complex organisation and, mm. and as you say, without, without having advisors who are actually going to listen or sorry, to whom you will listen, uh, makes it much, much, much harder in my, uh, in my, in my mind. But, you know, mm. who knows? Could be wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, mate, let's go to mailbag and I'm going to, Look, let's see. I'm going to get some stuff out of the way. Uh, some anyway is the stuff that's, um, eh, you know, it's 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 cryptographic um, stuff things. Uh, it's cryptocurrency, of oh, course. Awesome. Patrick asks, uh, good question. He says, um, where are we here? Sorry, mate, I've scrolled up somehow. Gone for too far away. Um, Hi, Scott and Andrew. Love the podcast. And a quick question: Andrew previously outlined the potential value of Bitcoin. And then said he invested in Bitcoin and Ethereum due to network effects, among other things. However, on a mailbag podcast on 22nd of May, our listeners are paying attention, Ram, he said there's Bitcoin and there's everything else. Mm. And if one wanted to invest in crypto, they should invest in Bitcoin. Curious if his thesis on Ethereum has changed, and if so, why? Keep it short. It's not the cryptocurrency podcast, God <laughs> damn it. Uh, it is a good question, man. I did wonder the same thing as you talked about. I think you and I have actually talked about it afterwards. But uh, uh, Patrick asked, I think it's a question worth asking and answering. Yeah, yeah. So but I do want to start off by saying I've got nothing to sell here, right? So I'm, I'm, I don't run any crypto product. I don't, I don't care what people do. It's, it's your own money. So, you know, take, take this, is, this is just my humble opinion and my opinion's probably wrong. So just let's just put that out there. <laughs> Um, and and my thinking has really changed and evolved, and I'm sure if you mm. ask me in a couple of years, it'll probably be different yeah. again. So yep. there's there's that as well. When you and I were first doing this podcast in 2017, <laughs> yes. you were the one who bought Bitcoin. And it was me saying, "What are you idiot? Like why? Correct, on earth? Correct, I don't correct. get it. What does it do? Yep, you know." Yep. So it, it changes, and I think I'm actually proud of that. I think yep, I think should we be. should all pretty yep. flexible in our thinking absolutely mate. as long as we're sort of guided objectively by the facts and and, and rational thought so mm -hmm. 
So my initial thesis with Ethereum was that it's different in, in terms of Bitcoin. It's more of a, it's, the way to think about it is a, a Turing complete machine. It's a universal computer that runs mm. distributed on the internet. Mm. So it's not, it's not, there's not, there's not one sort of computer. It's a computer of computers yeah. and allows you to do some really special and interesting things. And I think it's really fascinating. I think, mm. it, I think it'll, it'll actually go on um, to do some pretty impressive stuff. But uh, how do you value the ETH token, the native token mm. of that? Um, I couldn't square that. I, I, okay. I found. I, I think. I think something can. Two things can be true: that huh. the network itself can grow and have more value and use, hmm. but the token itself may not translate into anything of, of greatly increasing value. Hmm. Um, here's the other thing: it's not mutually exclusive. I dare say that most of the DApps, the distributed apps, will probably, if there's ever any transfer of value in those protocols, will probably use Bitcoin. They, hmm. Hmm. You can do that, right? Yeah. Um, so I actually think if you go with Bitcoin, you kind of win in both cases. <laughs> um, interestingly enough, but yeah. So I, I'm I'm really curious with Ethereum. I think it's it's mm. a space to watch. But I just I've the more I've dug into, I haven't hit the bottom. I'll let you know when I hit the bottom of the rabbit hole. I haven't hit it yet. <laughs> Every time I go down another little area, it's like oh, you just you go deeper and there's another layer and another, and it just gets very <laughs> philosophical very quickly. Mm. Um, yeah, but Bitcoin, there's, there's, here's the thing, right? So blockchain um, is really good if you want to get rid of a centralized, trusted third party. Yep. In almost every other use case, it's a, it's a stupid waste of time. <laughs> right. So, because we, we have these things called databases and, mm -hmm. and a centralized database is probably the best thing that you, you need. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's faster. It's it, it, blockchains are really inefficient. They're really expensive to run. They're really slow. The, the only advantage they give you is is that they 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 make a trustless system, and that's why Bitcoin's different. Yeah. Bitcoin, yeah. Bitcoin. When it comes to something that is trying to be a money, and you've got to be careful here not to confuse that with currency or other things. Mm -hmm. It's another another rabbit hole you can go down. Um, mm -hmm. But when you're talking about money, uh, that's Trust is the most important thing, like the most important thing. Yeah. So yeah. blockchain, blockchain is fundamentally important to to. Mm. In fact, it's probably only the mass, the, the main use case. Uh, I would argue is is a, is a monetary use case, mm. and and that's it, it. Yeah, it just does that. It does it really well. It's a network that's never been down. <laughs> it's never been hacked. It's Ten years of proof. It's it's no one can beat it at this stage. The network effect is too powerful. More nodes running on it. It's more secure. If if your if your view is that there will be a digital currency mm -hmm. at some point in the future, mm -hmm. that digital currency is Bitcoin. No no one can no one can kill it at this point. It's the only one where it doesn't have. It's a digital property. So there's no one that actually controls it. All the other all the other hard forks and copycats of it. There's always a team or a venture capital fund behind it. Mm. So it can't, it can't fill that trustless. It just, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. So anyway, you, I'm, try, I'm trying really hard to not keep going because it's so endlessly fascinating. So still um, keen on Bitcoin. Ethereum, still keen on the idea. Not as keen that it's easy to value and so it's less attractive to you than it was in the past. Is that, yeah. a, is that a reason why to summarize? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Nice. Thank you. I like that. Thank you, man. Yep. Hey, um, let's, we, we are going to do an episode on Bitcoin. We've, we've promised that. I, I've been dragged kicking and screaming into that, so we'll have to do it at some point. Uh, yeah, I, I can't I'm wait. going away for a couple of weeks in a couple of weeks' time, so we will pre-record that episode. We haven't pre-recorded it yet. Uh, we will let you know when it's in the can, and we will let you know when you can listen to it. It's um, i got to say, I, I, am, I am a skeptic. You are a true believer, uh, but the conversation itself. I, we, you and I have had lots of conversations which are – endlessly fascinating even for me as someone who isn't super into it um, and I think it's I think it's a really really useful conversation so do, I, do hang the, out for that that is the best conversation is one yep. between a skeptic and and a believer because that's yep. the most valuable one when when you ever you have echo yeah, chambers nice. I mean if you yep, get yep. two bitcoin maxis on there you know <laughs> that's a wasted say, conversation I will say two two, two I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give us a wrap here two reasonable people right I'm, I'm skeptical but open you're a true believer but you're also open and, you, and you, you're discussing it reasonably and as you started by saying look I don't know this is what I think right now I might change my mind I might be wrong but here's what I'm currently thinking that that is it, that's even more useful than an absolute skeptic and an absolute true believer right it's people who are just simply happy to say this could change we could be wrong here's the current thinking here's the current questioning I think that's the most useful do you know what I said to, to another friend recently because I'm, I'm driving everyone up the wall because that's all I talk about lately um <laughs> And like and my my motivation is I've got I've got no in, I've got no interest in in yeah. I, I'm not 
I'm not uh, evangelizing because I want to convert people. Yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to have the conversation with all my smart friends because I want my smart friends to go. Mm, oh, yeah. but have you thought of this? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And and the trouble is, every time I have the conversation, and you or others go, "Oh, you thought about mm, that," mm, I mm. I've actually feel as though I've got a good answer to it. So it's kind of my my. I feel as though if I can keep having these conversations with rational, smart people and mm. they can't kill the thesis, mm. it just yeah. strengthens my conviction. Now, maybe one day, maybe in the episode, you'll go, oh, did you mm. think of this? And I'll go, oh, <laughs> shit. There we <laughs> no. go. There we go. Stay tuned uh, for that. that yeah, so it, might, it might happen, right? But yep, yeah. Yep. Anyway, I'll shut up. You'll have to make sure you listen to see if we can find that, uh, that opportunity. Mate, let's get to a question from someone who says, please call me Don. So I will, Don. G'day, Scott and Pagey. I have a question for the pod. Do you see the age at which you can access your super decreasing in the next 20 to 30 years? It seems to be increasing at the moment from 65 to 67, but with a focus on superannuation in the workforce nowadays, is it likely to decrease? Hmm. Here's a hypothetical scenario, says Don. A 25-year-old with 80 grand in super deposits the full amount to super each year, 27.5K, and decides it's time to retire at 55. With a balance of one and a half to two million dollars, assuming eight percent growth, accounting for taxes and fees, you'd think you could access the amount after working hard and smart for the past thirty odd years. It's also, he says, a great incentive for those to salary sacrifice as much as possible. What are your thoughts? Cheers, Don. Mm, great question. Good question. It's, everyone's mm. talking about increasing the age of of, of super. Uh, you know, retirement. We're living longer, working longer, we're healthier. Um, I, it's a really random macro question, but I like the I like the mm. thinking. It's always nice to have a kind of a thought experiment. What do you recommend? Is is there a chance that some future government says, "Yeah, knock yourselves out, guys. Access it early. Stop working. It's all good." I'd like to say no, but it's not impossible. I mean, okay. we're already we're already dipping into it, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. The, the trouble yes, yes, the, the trouble with super is that <laughs> it is it is this giant pot of cash. Yeah. That that is going to be an increasingly <laughs> big temptation for politicians. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Do you know? And that's yeah. the biggest, that's the biggest risk to it. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mm-hmm. bet heavily mm-hmm. against it. I, my, my answer yeah. is I hopefully not. Yeah. Because it is, it, you, you've got to come back to what it, what, what it is, not what yeah. it could be. It was, it, it is meant to be a full saving mechanism for retirement. So if all of a sudden some government turns around and says, no, 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 you can have it now. It's like, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, wait a second. Wasn't that meant to be for this? Yeah, not yeah. not some tax advantage saving vehicle that people can necessarily retire early. You know, it's mm, mm, it's mm. different. So I hope not, but who knows? Who knows? I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't spend the next few decades heavily betting on that outcome. That's a great way to finish. I will agree with that last point. I also agree with your previous point, mate. I I would actually be I, <laughs> I will own, you know, I've said to you guys before, I've said on the podcast, I want to be treasurer for about 12 or 18 months. That's all I'll need. And I guarantee at the end of it, no one's going to vote me back in again. So I, I am I am the king of unpopular uh, thoughts and processes and uh, and uh, I'm never going to get re-voted. Trouble, um, the trouble is though that the other subsequent treasurers can yeah, unwind I'm it. Yeah, i do it. Exactly, you know? exactly. I'll find some way of doing it. I'll That's what's good about Bitcoin. It can't change. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. As, as, you as you were. As you were. I... Uh, I would I would actually be more draconian with super than it is now. I would tax it. Uh, I would tax income at, at a marginal tax rate because with a massive hole in the budget, largely, not entirely, largely because of retirement savings that are going untaxed. Um, so that's the first thing I would do. Second thing I would do is I would limit the amount of money you can actually pull out of super any, in any given year because it's supposed to be, as you say, made a, a funding vehicle for retirement. I can literally take everything out of super to when I get 67 I can go down to the Star Casino assuming it's still open and hasn't been put out of business by regulators by then uh, no, no no no, small odd that happens I could blow it all on red or black and I could go and line up at Centrelink and get a pension the very next day mm. and that is a fundamental ginormous flaw in the system that no one seems to be bothered to fix because it's not popular and no one wants to sell it there's no vision in politics anymore uh, but that, that it's, it just, it's just a debacle it, it, yeah. the, 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 very, the very fact you can do that uh, when it's supposed to be, as you say, mate, a retirement savings vehicle, not mm. just a here's a lump sum you saved in the medium term, blow it whatever you want vehicle. Mm. Um, that's what savings is for. <laughs> mm. If you want to invest in the market and go and blow it on red when you're your 65th birthday, go for it. Mm. If you don't do your own, but if you need a super, then it should be it should be used for the purpose it was designed for, and the, frankly, for the purpose it, you get a massive tax deduction through your working life for, which is to fund your retirement income. Yeah, which mate, doesn't make sense once like you know the fact that multi 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 millionaires are using it to. Save a bit of tax. It's kind of like you guys are yeah. okay in retirement, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. it's, like it's not. It's not for that. 
<laughs> I know it's become that, and I know it's legal, and why not? I, yep, yep. I would I would use it that way if if that was no, it, you know it's if I had millions of problem, dollars. Not a usage problem, absolutely. Yep, yep. you can't I blame people for doing it. Man, no. I do kind of a little bit. It's gutless and and selfish, but. Um, they're, they're entitled well, it's to just game theoretical, right? Like, what yeah. you'd be the idiot yeah. not to do it. What, yeah. Why? You're making some strong moral stand, and you don't yeah. change anything. So yeah. I, I kind of get it, but it, but it's the system that needs to change. Correct. It's a bigger conversation. Exactly. But uh, so look, I, I don't think so. Just to answer the question, actually, I don't see it coming down. No, um, I don't think it's likely. Uh, it's possible. I mean, there's transition to retirement pensions now, and the preservation ages are different. And if you actually retire after about sixty, I think you can get it. So there are there are some rules around it. Um, I, I don't think it's likely to change. And frankly, I would I would <laughs> argue very long and strong against it. Um, uh, maybe if you're going to access it early, but but at a fixed percentage of your of that balance, I could probably get come to some sort of view on that. If you want to be sixty, and then say, you know what, I can take out no more than five percent of my balance a year from that point forward, and commit to never take a lump sum. I I, I get behind that for sure, because mm-hmm. um, then it is literally funding your retirement. But we'll see. Mate, um, let's go to a couple of couple of ones on super uh, and housing. Actually, a couple of couple of comments. Uh, just one from someone who doesn't give us a name, gives us a screen name. I think it's Instagram. I won't share it because I don't want to uh, identify the person directly. Hey, Scott, thank you for your article on housing policy. We talked about this on the podcast as well. It, I love this. It took me two whole minutes to explain to my ten-year-old why raiding super was a terrible idea. Using a thirty-year-old taking forty k from super that doubles every ten years. He understands compounding, even if he can't label it. Full on. And that was just a really nice comment. It's pretty much, if you, if you explain to a 10-year-old why you shouldn't touch super and you can't explain to a politician, then that's everything that's wrong with our politics. I just love, I love that. And if there's one thing that you, one 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 thing that you want to impart yeah. to a child yeah. is is the yep. power of compounding, you know? <laughs> exactly. Great. Exactly. Um, okay, a couple, a couple of other bits of feedback from previous podcasts. Steven says, hi, Scott, I'm sitting here listening to a mailbag episode about interest rates and home loans. As a 38-year-old from country New South Wales with no home loan as we have paid it off, why would I not want interest rates to go up to 10% or higher? I'm also interested in what a really high interest rate would mean for share prices. Do they return more or less in high interest times or would a bank offering 10% interest on savings be better? A bank manager told me once, you need debt to make money, but I hate debt and assumed he was selling me more debt. I told him that I'll wait to make money from him. <laughs> Thanks again for all your wisdom, Stephen. I love it. That's more bank managers should be told. No, no, no I'm going to own you. I'm not going to borrow from you. That's a that's a much 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 smarter approach. I like it a lot. Um, let's go through each one, mate. Um, so the broad, I think he had partly answered his own question, but let's separate it. Firstly, let's talk about the economy. If rates go to ten percent, and then let's talk about asset prices. So mm-hmm. Stephen's probably got some cash in the bank. Why would he not want rates to go to ten percent, or would he want well, rates to go ten percent? So it, it, you have to have the the all things being equal qualifier at the start. So with <laughs> yeah. all things being equal, hell yeah, you know anyone in cash, <laughs> That's right? Someone's offering you risk free ten percent. Take it tomorrow. Risk free ten percent, brilliant. Exactly. Unfortunately, well, you know, <laughs> the, you'd have to ask what, under what circumstances would that happen. Yeah. Probably under a very high inflation environment. <laughs> yeah. So it's actually like what's the question? The real rate of return. So you have to sort of factor that in. You'd also say if that was to happen as well, the economy would probably collapse and we'd have, That's, you know, yeah. <laughs> riots and, you know, gangs roving the streets. So there's, there's all of mm, that mm, kind of mm, thing. But mm. Steve's right. I mean, hell yeah. I mean, this is, this, this is kind of frustrates me a bit. Whenever the media talks about mm. higher interest rates, it's like bad, 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 bad. It's like not for savers. Mm-hmm. No, it's actually, actually really good. Yeah. Um, again, all else being equal. Yes, it would destroy the economy. Uh, if rates got to that level, uh, the housing market would implode. Uh, businesses would go broke because they couldn't afford debts. Uh, you'd get your ten percent, but you couldn't spend it anywhere. <laughs> you wouldn't be employed if, if you're uh, unless you're living on that on that savings. And if you were employed, if you could live on those savings, I'm sure what you would spend and where and who with, because uh, everyone else would be in a massive, massive world of hurt. But just just to pre just on. to preempt some some uh, <laughs> baby boomers. Um, who are probably going right now? Well, oh, in the eighties, oh, in the eighties, we had the, and it's like, yes, you did, oh, yes, you did, but but the the, the debt burdens were, <laughs> you know, orders of magnitude different. So it, it's kind yeah. of like and it was a very short amount of time too. It was a yes. very transitory. While they killed off inflation, we back down again after that. So it yep. was a it was yep. a shock to the system for sure. If, if we had the same levels of household debt yep. that we had yep. then, then yeah, it's yep. a different. So I agree with you. But and even then, you couldn't keep it there for long. If they kept right at that point, they would have destroyed the economy. So it was very transitory for a very specific point. Yeah. Um, worth saying too, by the way, um, the interest rate at that point, the cash rate wasn't that high. Uh, it was the, the mortgage rate was that high. Uh, mm. It was still very high, by the way. But yeah, but yeah. Um, shares, mate. If interest rates go to ten percent, cash in the bank. Uh, <laughs> Look I out below. Be, well, explain why. 
Well, I mean, you're a, you're a, you've, it's a free market, right? You can put your money wherever you want to put it. We, we've, we often quote this long-term return figure, which is just an average. Um, but on average, something mm. with dividends, about 10% per year is what you get mm. in the US market, the Australian market. People will argue that. Somewhere, let's call it somewhere between 8 and 12%. Mm-hmm. Um, that comes with a hell of a lot of volatility and risk. Why, why am I going to take that volatility and risk yeah. And I, I use those two terms deliberately separately. Yeah. Um, but why would I take that um, when I can have zero risk and get 10% in the bank? Mm. So when you, when in an environment like that, again, all else being equal, I know what I would do. I would sell all my shares and I pop them in into an ING savings account. Mm. I take my 10%. <laughs> I'd go and do whatever I do. Yep. Brilliant. So the market, Unless market until collapse. you thought you could earn more from shares and to earn more from shares, I'd have to start from a lower point, which is why yep. the share price would collapse. Yep. Because yep, people would say, exactly I'm not going right. to pay $40 for Woolly shares if rate interest is 10%. I'll pay $20 for Woolly shares if interest is 10% because I'll yeah. get a big enough return to beat cash in the bank. And that means the share price would go to 20 bucks because everyone else has the same conversation. Markets aren't always super efficient, but they're pretty efficient, particularly in macro ways like this. Yep. Um, part of the reason we've seen the tech stocks absolutely smashed, growth stock absolutely smashed over the past six, eight, nine months mm-hmm. um, is exactly that. People are making these adjustments right now yep. because of higher rates and, and a little bit of, you know, struggle to get new cash. And, but that's the same reason. Why are VCs not investing money in startups? Because the economy is slowing down, rates are going up, there's better opportunities elsewhere. It's exactly what's happening. There's also that, that discounted, there's a time value of money concept yeah. folded into that. So True, yes, exactly, yes. You know, if, again, you know, what, what do you want? Do you want a dollar now or do you want a dollar in 10 years? Well, I'll <laughs> yeah, take it yeah. now. But, but, but obviously yeah. that becomes even more um, attractive at a higher mm-hmm. rate of interest because of just what I would otherwise, how that would compound out. So higher interest just means the, the, the future value of that dollar is even mm-hmm. less. Mm-hmm. And, and we are valuing companies on all their future cash flows. So yeah, it, it would not be good. It would not be good for shares. It would not be good for um, property. It would not be good for any, of, any income producing asset. It would be mm-hmm. very bad. Mm-hmm. Mate, let's move on to another macro comment and again, some feedback from just one time from Josh. Josh read one of the uh, my Facebook posts about <laughs> one of the housing policies for one of the parties. And Josh took me to task for being a bit heavy-handed about against one party rather than the other. Uh, I then sent Josh some links to the stuff where I actually gave them both a good good whack around the ears. And so Josh comes back and says, sorry, mate, I didn't see the first one. I strongly agree both are shocking policies. To give you my situation, I have investments in both property, shares, and super. I live in our home, so I benefit from growth in housing prices. However... I don't agree with both sides of the fence juicing the market with lax borrowing standards, low deposits, use of government funds, and access to super. would be interesting to hear your thoughts on if any side of government will do the right thing. All of these measures just increase the amount of money chasing the same number of houses. Cheers, Josh. Nailed it. I'm going to throw this to you first, mate. Nailed it. Nailed it. But you make you make money cheaper, or you put more money out there. Doesn't doesn't change the number of houses that are out. I mean, talk about explaining something to a twelve year old, right? Like nah. he's got it, he's nailed it, absolutely. It's inflation one hundred and one. That's exactly what inflation exactly is. Exactly right? more what money it is. the fewer things. Yeah. yeah Actually, I want to go back to I want to go back to the other the other the other question because it relates to that. Okay. The, this yep. idea that the prudent thing to do. It's a bit of an mm. epiphany I've had recently. I'm like, maybe I'll change my mind again. But <laughs> it's like you said. Well, I I want to avoid. The bank mm. is saying, no, actually, mm. you've got to take on a heap of debt. Yeah. I'm actually coming around to that view. And and I think in a in an inflationary world that we live in, yeah. why wouldn't you, right? So what, okay, the, 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 the disclaimer here is that you're always able to meet your obligations when they fall mm. due, interest mm. payments, mm. capital repayments, all that kind of stuff. Assuming that's true, you should take on as much debt as you humanly can. Why? Because the value of the, the debt through inflation, even mm. normal levels of inflation, Call it three, four percent. Just gets less and less and less. Mm. But if you're using that debt to buy a Ferrari, okay, dumb. If you're using mm. that debt to buy uh, appreciating hard assets, mm. i.e., property, mm. you know, basket of shares, that kind of stuff, it's brilliant. You get you get a double whammy here. It's so like one, the the value of my debt gets less and less and less in real terms over time, mm. and the value of my hard asset goes grows and grows and grows and grows. I've done absolutely. I look back on my life and go, "Oh my gosh, I've done exactly the wrong thing," <laughs> because I've been exactly the same. Like, no, 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 yeah. debt is bad. Debt is, you know, it's just like or, or uh, imprudent debt is bad. And I've always tried to minimize it, and I've always, I've always um, avoided that. But in, in hindsight, I actually think, no, nah, uh, I, I think as long as you can provide and be comfortable to service that, it, it's we live in a system where debt is rewarded, which is kind of the crazy thing. And we, mm. we could get into this big hard money 
Austrian economic sort of debate again, which we won't. Let's not do that. Oh dear, no, let's not do that. But but do you know oh, what I mean? I, I, and yeah, and yeah. and so. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I'm. I'm trying. It's, it's, it's a crazy world we live in. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I think I think that's. I, I think the the problem with that, mate, is you're always only one bad event away from bankruptcy. Yeah, and that and that's and that's the chance. Debt debt is always great. Well, it's leverage, right? Magnifies the gains and the losses. Well, leverage working for you is fantastic. The one time you spin a zero on the roulette wheel, everything crashes down, and you're like, well, okay, I probably could have, you know, those. It's it's a bit like um. It's a bit like lotto winners, right? It's using lotto as the example of, of good investment. See, I told you it was a good investment. I bought a lotto and I won a million dollars. It's the best investment I've ever made. You guys should play lotto too. Mm. It's like, well, just because it works for someone or even if it works for almost everybody. Mm. People it doesn't work for still takes them to zero and there's still always that risk, right? As, as Buffett said, leverage is the only way a smart man can go broke. I'm, I'm going to stick with Warren on this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, look, I, I should be careful. There's there's very important context and subtlety. It does depend on that serviceability. So it very the, mm. the very, very wealthy Use debt very effectively. They've got huge yes, amounts of yes. property in that. They, they don't. If yep. they need to buy the, another yacht, they don't. They don't sell their property. That's stupid. Take out mm. a loan. Mm. Buy your yacht with that. Yeah. One thing that's going to deflate. You'll never. You'll never. You'll never be called on it because you've got all these really strong assets that are backing it. Mm. They use it in a very effective way that that advantages them structurally. It's 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 when you when you start deeply thinking about it, there's actually a lot of sense to it. Again, as long as you're not going to be in any situation where you blow yourself up. <laughs> Yeah, no fair. Exactly, exactly. Um, I forgot the original forgot. premise of the well, second question. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you didn't really care. You just wanted to excuse to talk about your thing. Uh, no, okay. Uh, Josh is basically saying, do you think governments will do the right thing? No, I don't, Josh. No, they won't. Um, no. Uh, they can't. They can't. Well, I mean, yeah. here's, the, the question is, and I'll put it to you, mate, what would yep. you do? Now, there's what yep. you probably should, like there's, there's, there's yep. the, the lens of, I'm looking, you know, the greater good, the the whole yep. being different to the sum of its parts, and you might sort of mm-hmm. take a certain mm-hmm. approach. Yep. But that certain approach probably ruins lives, yep. increases the rates of suicide, destroys family, all the most horrible, horrible totally. things you can imagine, right? So yep. it's kind of like, yep. okay, well, I don't want to do that. I'm not, I'm not evil. You know, okay, well, now what are you going to do? Well, uh, I might just kick the can down the road a little bit. You know, it's it's. Yeah. It, I, I, and this is this is the dilemma that that government faces. Yeah, they they don't. And at heart, I think it's also the dilemma that central banks have faced, and that's why we're here. Quite yeah, honestly, mate. Yeah, I think exactly. I think they were so scared on on for both good and bad reasons of the of the GFC. Mm. They were so desperate not to do that again. Yep. That they let things get out of control. Yep. And it's a crappy job. They've done it's it for the crappy, right reasons, right? Well, you know, like yeah. it's, there's, not totally a, the there's not a cons- there's not lizard people here. It's not a conspiracy. Absolutely. Right? It, nope. it, it's nope. just it's human nature wanting to do the right thing and just you know we we, we will always take the easy path we yep. will always because that's that's in our nature to do I don't think it's easy I think, it's, I think they thought it was best I think they've, they've looked at it and gone I don't want to be responsible for plunging the economy into recession with all the side effects you just talked about mm. so to avoid that I'm going to do everything I can to support the, econom- the economy mm. and of course we want to avoid another GFC of course, we'd love to avoid another recession, but we talked about on Friday the fact that rates must go up and down. Job of central banks and governments in, in a Keynesian world where governments run surplus in good times, deficits in bad times, is mm. to smooth somewhat the economic cycles, to take off the tops of the peaks and the bottoms of the troughs. You know, in a perfect world, would they go exactly 2.5% growth every single year forever and ever? Of course they would, yes, mm. and it would be fine. But we know they can't do it because they're not making all the decisions. They're setting up the the, the environment, the, the environmental, the economic settings for businesses and people to make their decisions. And those decisions are the problem, not the government decisions, right? So, mm. the you know, RBA or the or the government says fiscal policy, tax and spend will be this, and the RBA says interest rates will be that. And someone says, "Oh, great! I'll pay my loan, my house off quicker." Someone else says, "Hey, I'm going to borrow as much as I possibly can and put it all in black." They all they can do is say, "Here's here's the cost of borrowing. Here are the economic mm. circumstances of contraction or expansion based on tax and spend." Mm. What we do is then, you know, human nature is human nature, as you say. The animal spirits do these things. Um, the, what would I do is I would try my level, given given the reasons you just talked about. I, so I wouldn't have got us in this position in the first place. We all would say that. It's easy to say, right? But let's but let's assume we were the newly elected government, the uh, the Page Phillips uh, duopoly uh, taking over the, the federal government tomorrow in a, in a uh, bloodless coup. Um, I think for all the reasons you've said, the best thing we can do is try and stabilise house price growth at zero. That yeah, is that's the best thing outcome. we can do. Yeah. Because is it too expensive? Yes. Would fixing it create more pain? Yes. Is that pain worth causing? No, not in my view. 
Um, there are things, there are a whole things. You talk about tenants' rights. There's a million things we do with property more broadly. But when we're confining ourselves to property prices or, or affordability or uh, systemic risk, the, the, the stuff that house prices specifically do, um, I think constraining it to zero would be the first thing I would do. Mm. Uh, and I think that's, you know, and do as much as you can to avoid. So we're going to have house price falls this year. A small fall is probably fine. We'll say zero. Again, I don't even mean exactly zero. I mean, a perfect world, I would make it exactly zero, but we can't. So, you know, a little bit of a bit of decline is not going to hurt. Well, if it, falls, if it falls 10%, we're just back to where we were six months ago. Exactly. That's yeah. not a, that is not a tragedy. I'm sorry. Except that the, except the extent, and this goes back to interest rates, right? So rates go up. So prices fall because rates go up, which probably means some people can't afford the homes they're buying, or you know, there's there's that pain that gets caused. But yes, mm. I think to that point, you would you would try not to have our set price falls because they are generally speaking. I'm talking about shelter here, not overall assets. I don't care about share prices; they can go up down 25% for all I care. Again, I'd rather they wouldn't, but I'm not going to stop it because that's the market. Mm. But as you've said so eloquently in the past, it's not a housing market; it's it's shelter, it's 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 community, it's you know a suburb. It's not a housing market. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would absolutely try and limit the declines uh, to zero. Uh, I'd also, by the way, try and limit the growth from that point and let incomes catch up over time. Mm-hmm. And I think that'd be a decade-long, super... Un- you know, I told you about being treasurer for 12 months and getting voted out. Uh, you know, super long-term, probably goes nowhere. Incomes grow slowly, making housing more affordable slowly over time, uh, incrementally getting more people into houses and minimising the proportion of our incomes we're spending on homeland interest. Mm. So that that's that's what I would that's what I would do given the choice and even assuming the policy tools are available, which they're really not. You've got to try and do something. Um, but that's how I that's how I do it. How would I do it? Uh, probably a combination of interest rates and macro prudential uh, changes. Uh, try and and I've said I talked about this on Friday. Just basically trying to util, utilize those to offset the impact of interest rates on asset on not, I was keep saying asset prices if it's all assets on housing prices. Um, so as rates went up, I'd bring macro buffers down slightly. As pro- rates went down again, I put the macro buffers up slightly. Try and use that to keep house prices reasonably stable. I think, mm. it's, I think it's the most responsible thing. And this is social policy, not financial policy, by the way. And that's at the heart of it. Why? And that's and that's deliberate because I think housing is a, it's shelter, right? It's a lifestyle asset. It's a, it's part of our, uh, it's a human need, right? Maslow knew this years ago. The shelter is really important. So I don't, mm. I don't want to talk about housing as a financial asset. Uh, I want to talk about housing as a shelter because that's exactly what it should be. Shares are a financial asset. Artwork's a financial asset. Gold's a financial asset. Knock yourselves out. Um, I think we, 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 we made a massive mistake when we made when we financialized housing. Uh, and the problem is, well, I say we, right? There was no, it was never a deliberate decision. It was just one of those things that we sort of, you know, people started to think, hang on, I can borrow some more money. Okay, well, then I can, I can get to a bigger house. Okay, well, I can, I can do that. It's, it's the combination of all these decisions, in, you know, one on one on one at a time. And it's the free market doing what the free market does. Mm-hmm. I just think in this case, it's overshot. And I think there's some that's a role to play to restabilize it. Would yep. you add anything to that from your perspective? No, it's pretty comprehensive. Look, back to the question, are there anything going to happen with it? No, prob- no. probably not. No. It, it's too hard. Yep, it is. It's too and, politically and unpalatable. Yeah, correct. There's too much pain, political pain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, and that's the, that's, the, that's the hard part, I think. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Um, mate, let's go to a question we got. Um, I really, I really like this one. It's uh, so here's <laughs> we talk about in the, the financial industry, and you and I are part of it, and we talk about it as if we're outsiders. We're kind of both is true. So Jack says, "Good afternoon, gentlemen. Thank you for your transparent, educational guide on all things investing. A little bit of background information about me." He says, even though the question is general in nature, thank you. Thought it might be useful to understand my perspective. I'm a 21 year old aspiring investor. And I've been dollar cost averaging into a range of ETFs over the past couple of years. Thanks to JobKeeper, I have a pretty reasonable leg up for someone my age. Excellent. Good work for you putting it to good use, mate, rather than yeah. uh, splurge on TVs and jet skis. I'm studying a double degree in law and commerce. And through my personal investing journey, including your magnificently, amazingly wonderful podcast, how good is that? As well as other sources of media, including the AFR, Bloomberg, etc., etc., I have come to want to be a professional investor. What comments could you make about young people aspiring to become professional investors who are aware of the folly of the industry itself? He says in brackets, short-term performance focus, underperformance index hugging, exorbitant fees, etc. And how this landscape can be navigated compared to an investing journey of a personal nature. Would love to hear both of your thoughts. Full on oh, Jack. Question. Great. Isn't it? Awesome. You go first. Um, yeah, I think he's actually <laughs> come up before. So apologies if I'm... I'm re- repeating myself but I think two mm. two things just read and read and read and mm-hmm. read and read um, mm-hmm. and just just all the classics you know just I think the Motley Fool you guys have a good reading list if you if you google that um, 
you, you can spend $300 on books and get the best education out there. I, I, I would very strongly nice. argue. And I, if you were thinking of doing an MBA or yep. like, there's, I'm saying there's no value in that, but it's just like on a dollar, yep. you know, yep. pound for pound basis. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Buy a bunch of books. You, you, will, yep. you will just get so much insight from that. The other thing I would urge you to do is don't study markets, study mm. businesses. Mm. That, that for me is the real, when I had it a while ago, was that epiphany of just forget mm. all this nonsense with the market you know, all, all of the things that, that people, most people talk about most of the time when it comes to the stock market mm. is about the market. It's not about yeah. the thing you're actually buying. <laughs> yeah, learn, right. learn business. Yeah. You know, yeah. Think, you know thing, things like operating leverage, unit economics, mm. uh, yep. Uh, yep. scale effects, competitive advantages, yep. Yep. All, all of these kinds of things. I mean, because mm-hmm. you, you don't know what to... There's the whole dilemma of trying to value a business, yeah. but I mean, why do you even want to start with that until you know what you, you want to actually start off with? I want to, I want to know the kind of business mm. that I want to own. And what makes for good good businesses and otherwise? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like get get that part right. The rest is mm. is. Mm. Re- I'm not going to say easy, but it's relatively easy. <laughs> yeah, you know, if I had to choice, well, the rest is kind of maths, right? Like it's- the rest is maths. The rest yeah. is is straightforward maths, and it'll take a yep. while to get your head around some of it. But yep. yeah, just yep. or and I would say too, all of the big things. Uh, are qualitative. Um, mm. they, they don't. You won't find a financial metric or a chart or anything for it. So mm. things like management, things like brand, you know, um, th- th- those are the things that that mm. kind of really, really, really matter. And it's hard. It's hard to evaluate that objectively. Yeah, it's a good point. What, what would you say? I- uh, so first things first, thank you for the, the wrap about the reading list on the site. I'll go one better, mate. If you go to YouTube and, and search for The Motley Fool Australia on YouTube, we have a whole series called Our Favourite Investing Books where oh, I interview some of the investing uh, team and we go through some of the books they like and we've kind of highlighted some of those. So if you want to uh, Google the reading list but also jump on YouTube, look for the series. It's a series. I think it's on the homepage of the Fool's YouTube page. Um, just Our Favourite Investing Books series. You can, you can find it there. So it's, it's a bit of fun. And some people other than Andrew and I, um, as well as us, give me some thoughts on that. Um, so here's the thing, Matt. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you I'm gonna ask you a second question before I give my answer, because the question from Jack wasn't so much how do I be a great investor, it was how do I be a professional investor knowing the industry sucks, mm. <laughs> and that's a different question. Because I'll just repeat what he said because he does it nicely. He says, um, "What comments would you make about young people aspiring to become professional investors who are aware of the folly of the industry itself?" short-term performance focus, underperformance, index hugging, exorbitant fees, et cetera, and how this landscape can be navigated. So I think he's asking, yeah. you've answered how, can you, how you can be a great investor and you're absolutely right. Um, that, they, that is, I can't improve on that answer. But he's also saying, you, know, you and I say we should, you should do this. You and I could not walk into many of the investment <laughs> banks or, no, or funds no, management no, no, business no. around the world and say, actually guys, I know you care about your three-month performance and I know you care about index hugging and I know you care about charging a million dollars in fees. I'm not going to do any of that, but please employ me anyway. And they're going to say, thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Scott. Get a coffee on the way out. Yeah. So how, I, 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 I would actually, that? yeah, it's a great, so you're right to focus it there. I would say, well, why do you, knowing that what you know, why would you want to work <laughs> in the industry? Well, let me, let me answer for him because he loves investing. He wants to do it full-time rather than having to do it on a hobby at you know, 9 o'clock at night or on Saturday mornings. Mm. He wants to make this his life's work because he loves it so much, which is a reasonable thing. Yeah, but, but the thing that you love is not the thing that you'll do. <laughs> if, 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 you love, if you love investing and you think, you think as we do in terms of what makes a sensible investor, yep. you will not be doing that in the industry. <laughs> you'll either be in broking where you, all you're trying to do is get people to churn. Yeah. Uh, you'll yeah. either be in somewhere else where you're just trying, you know, it's, it's, it's just so fundamentally broken in mm. so many mm. ways. And you'll, you'll mm. you, you, <laughs> look, at, look at a 40-year-old investment banker and they look like they're 60. (laughs) And I say that with some friends who are in the industry and they'll be the first. It's a horrible industry. (laughs) Yeah, you get good money and the rest of it, but it it takes its pound of flesh, you know. So I would say say, (laughs) do what you love, you Mm -hmm. know, whatever that may be, and then invest invest on the side. Because whenever you do what you love, you'll probably be good at it because, because it's not work for you. Um, Let me ask you a follow-up question then to my mm-hmm. follow-up question to your original answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're someone who loves the business of business, now you and I, you've, you've, you've created a business doing this. I work for a business, one of the very few that allows me to have this sort of focus. And frankly, I've got to tell you, we've had a crap last six months. Our scorecards over the last six months were terrible. Like really honestly, because that's what same. markets do. 
Yeah. And so we just that, that and that's okay. It's not great. I members don't love it. I don't love it. But it's not that. That's just what happens, right? So we haven't tried to hug the market by buying some lithium stocks just in case they might go up, or mm-hmm. you know, got, buy the cool stuff so we can sell. We own the cool stuff, or sell out on the way down so we can do, you know, get rid of the pain. It's like we're going to try and create the most long-term value we can, including periods of underperformance when mm-hmm. the stocks we like and the market hates. That's okay. That because it's the long term that we're focused on. Um, what should what what should Jack consider if you have any thoughts, mate? So he loves business. He loves investing. You're saying don't join a fund manager. Maybe there's a few businesses like ours. There's got to be more than just yours and mine. That it's not my business, but the one I work for um, that that let you invest with these sort of time frames. So maybe there's a couple of others. But if you were someone, let's say let's say Stormy got shut down tomorrow, and I got put over a job tomorrow, and knowing you and knowing me. We're, we're giving each other advice. I'm like, what do I do next? I mean, straw man's not working and the fool's shut down and now I've got to go and do something else and this is what I do, this is what I'm good at. Where would you tell me to head or where, where, would, you, where would you start looking yourself? Oh, gosh. Deep Because that's kind of Jack's, Jack's issue. Jack's saying, this is my passion and you're saying to me, well, don't work in the industry. Jack's like, well, okay, well, what else do I, can I do? Should I do that's but only Jack like can this? answer. Only Jack can answer it. I mean, okay. I, I'm not saying, don't look, absolutely work in the industry if, if, mm. if you want to, but just understand that you, you, you will be... <laughs> Pushed in directions know the, that know are, the deal with the devil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and I should I should I should qualify. You're right because there's some I I am friends with a bunch of fund managers who I think just get it right and they understand. They're generally pretty boutique in what they do. Yeah, a whole yeah. bunch of professional investors that I know that I actually really. But, but you've got to. They're hard to find. Um, mm-hmm. And and they they have a more difficult proposition because they their yeah. their message is harder to sell, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. which is it's going to be really tough, but it'll be worth it in the end. As yeah. opposed to all the snake oil salesmen who are saying, "Oh, it's great, we can give you all the upside with none of the downside." You know, mm-hmm. um, it's it's hard. It's hard. Go yeah. in. All, should, all I'm saying is go in eyes wide open. Is, is all yeah. I'm saying. I should answer the question rather than asking you because you told my answer, um, which is both the things you just talked about, mate. So get as good as possible at company now. So. If, if Jack, like us, you believe that, that company analysis and, and unseen business is the key, get good at that, to Andrew's point. Read the books, um, do that. And then I would say, if you still want to work in the industry, and I don't blame you, find businesses that value that. And they're out there. There aren't many. They're boutique. You're going to have to be good. You're going to have to show them something. You're going to have to be hireable and impressive. Um, have a plan B because there are... I mean, you know, and, and I said, mates with people who do this and do it really well. There are other people I don't know, but who do it really, really well and are good quality fund managers who really care and have the right focus and approach. Mm. Um, uh, Motley Fool has a funds management business called Lake House. We don't talk about much because we have these Chinese walls between them. Those guys get it. Um, yeah. uh, and the, resu- the results kind of show as a result, hey? Yeah, Forager yeah. Funds Manager done a great job. Value mm. investors, not necessarily my personal style. I'm not miles away from it, but not my exact style, but... They're super long-term investors. Steve Johnson, who runs that's a good guy. They're out there, right? They'll do they'll do a really good job, and they're, they're doing it the right way around. So think that think about that. So find the people who do it the way you think it should be done. Go and try and get a job with them. If that doesn't work, have a plan B because there are, aren't many of those jobs available. Super competitive because people like us and you want those jobs. Um, so have a, have a plan B and know what else you might do. The thing I would say for what it's worth is um, don't give up the opportunity to leave it as a fun hobby. And I say that as someone who works in the industry. Um, I still love investing. I love business and I love helping our members desperately. Like I really, that's why we do the podcast, right? Uh, yeah, we get a bit of advertising revenue for it. We kind of, I get paid a day, a day job to do it. Andrew's doing it because he wants to, um, you know, share a little bit about his business, but also obviously help you. Uh, Andrew, I'm doing this because we kind of care mostly rather than anything else. Um, it's fun. Um, but just be mindful of, you know, I, I, can't, I can't imagine much worse of when if investing became a chore because I had to do it every single day. And the fun went out of it. It's like, imagine killing your hobby, right? When your hobby becomes your job, it's either great because you never work a day in your life mm. or you're like, oh man, I used to enjoy this. Now it's just painful and, and you know, time consuming and a hassle and stressful and I don't like it. I don't, it's not fun anymore. So be careful of that. The, the best, the best um, thing I can say there is all my mates who are chefs have, <laughs> have toasted sandwiches for dinner <laughs> right. or yeah, egg on yeah, toast, you know, because they're doing that. it all day. And the last thing they're going to come home is cook a souffle, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right, one from uh, one from Sam. Discord and Andrew, I love the podcast, guys. I appreciate the time, effort, and thought you put into it. Thank you, mate. We at least do time and some effort. Not a lot of thought, but we do our best. <laughs> I was wondering, says Sam, why the NASDAQ ETF does not appear to track the NASDAQ index as closely as one would expect. When I looked at the ETF, it was down 3% for the year, whereas the index is, up, is down about 14%. Is this the currency difference? And if so, is there a hedged alternative or would that not close the gap? If you have time, I'd appreciate if you could discuss how expected dividends should be taken into account in discount rates and valuations. Man, that's a whole other topic, Sam. Uh, let's do the first one first. 
Um, I'm going to go with this one. You go for it. Um, it's larger currency, yes. Yeah. <laughs> currency, a little bit of management fees because management fees come out of the ETF as well. So mm-hmm. it's not going to be the different, the management fees aren't 11% difference. Uh, management fees are a little bit currency and it's going to be the other way in other times. If you hedged it, would it close the gap? No, not entirely because you hedge the currency risk, but you pay for that hedging. So you can't, by definition, uh, if the hedging was free, you could close the gap. Uh, and I've said before, we wouldn't hedge these things, generally speaking, um, because you're paying for volatility protection, not for total return. Uh, so you're paying money to have a smaller range of outcomes, but over time a lower outcome, mm. which to me is just a bit crazy. So that's that's pretty straightforward. Do you have any other thoughts on the gap, Ram? No, it's entirely what it is. Yep. Dividends. Okay. Discount mm. rates and valuations. Mm-hmm. You are someone who used to run our service called Motley Fool Dividend Investor way mm. back in the day. You're very familiar with dividends. You ran a dividend service, uh, dividend uh, advisory service way back in a previous job as well. So you've you've had a long career in this, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wonder if you could give Sam just a quick headline view. How do you think about dividends when you talk about discount rates and valuations? <sighs> um I'm trying to think of how to say this quickly. <laughs> so dividends are more of an afterthought. Yes. I would put it. So it's more about start with what the company generates in terms of its free cash flow. Yep. So a company that's a good company will hopefully make some free cash flow or at least be on mm-hmm. the path. I should be. I'm going to stop I, you I, now I, for a second. Can yep. you find free cash flow for me as you do this? Oh, so that's the, that's the cash flow you make from operating the business minus mm-hmm. any necessary investments. Cool. So, it, you know, you, you take more technical definition, take operating cash flow and subtract from that investing cash flows. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's kind of like the way that you would look at it if you were a, a just a s- small business owner. It's like, yeah. oh, my, my business made this much. You know, I've paid tax and this is all my after-tax business. But, you know, really, I'd like to stay in business for the next five years. Mm-hmm. So I probably should fix the tractor and put a new barn in or, you know, I'm assuming you're running a farm here with my analogy. <laughs> um, <laughs> if, you're, if you're an artist, you're getting it very, very wrong. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. But you know what I mean. Like you, there, there, there's yeah. what you make in a in an yeah. orbit around the sun, and there's mm-hmm. also investments that are necessary. Not growth investments. I'm not. I'm not yeah. spending extra money to grow the business just to keep in business. And a farm's a great yeah. analogy here as well. So I've got my farm. I've got my tractor. I've got my barn. Mm-hmm. I've got all those mm-hmm. kinds of things. I can just make whatever I make each year and just keep taking that out, and that mm-hmm. would be my free cash flow. But I probably wouldn't be a very viable farm for the long term because eventually my cash, my tractor is going to break and the rest. So I probably need to put a little bit of investment in just to keep things, just to just to account for depreciation. Yeah. Were you going to say something? Nope. Um, uh, so that's free cash flow. So that's free cash and flow. And you so measure, and you value you measure that as a valuation input. Yeah. So so that that's it. So that and then and then, blam! There it is at the end of each year. Now the management or the board more technically have to make a decision. They have to say, well, should we keep that money inside the business or should we give that to our to the owners of the business, i.e. the shareholders? Mm-hmm. And the question there really depends on what options you have available to you. It might be a business that has a lot of growth potential, really, really great product. You're just crushing it in Australia and you feel very confidently that we could take what we've got and do it over in the US and do it very successfully. And we should probably keep this money that we've made over the last few years and set up an office over there, hire some salespeople, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to cost a whole bunch of money, but we're going to get a great return on that. Mm-hmm. In which case, don't pay a dividend. Or you might be Woolies, which is, you know, we're, we're a really great business, but there's not a lot of growth opportunity for us. Mm-hmm. So we make all this money. And then even when we account for some investments for the future, we've still got some left over, in which case then we, then we hand it back. So it's kind of... Mm-hmm. That's that's how you make that decision. Or that, let me rephrase. That's how you should make that decision as a business. Mm, mm. And so I would actually just start purely from a free cash flow perspective. If we want to get technical, and I think the listener wants to start from <laughs> start from that perspective. Yeah. And then how? And then it's just a question of uh, of of the opportunities available to the business. Buffett has never paid a dividend, and thank goodness, right? Yeah. Because he just keeps <laughs> exactly. it. He keeps it, and he invests mm-hmm. it, and he gets these insane rota- rates of. Re- if, if Berkshire Hathaway had been paying a dividend over the last fifty years, shareholders would be far, far poorer. Yep. Um, but not every business is Buffett. So you know, <laughs> exactly. Some some companies should pay a dividend because a lot of the investments they make are very bad and just blow up shareholder capital. Yep. Have I answered it well? I don't know. I've gone all over the place there. You've answered it. You've answered it very well. I'm going to add. You've answered it perfectly. I'm going to add one more thing in terms of the valuation question that he asked, which was just simply that it shouldn't matter um, because when you're doing most valuation methodologies, you're measuring the free cash flow to Andrew's point, mm. not 
what is done with that money. Now, mm. future cash flow growth will absolutely depend on how what the business characteristics look like. Mm. And that will take into account dividends being paid or not paid. So Woolies, if it could invest that money, it would. Well, it probably wouldn't because shareholders love it. But let's let's assume it's not, you know, mm. if, if you're if you're a Woolies style business and like, and we, they try it with masters really honestly. Hey, mm. what if we start a hardware chain and try and make a fortune doing that? Mm. They might pay a little bit less in dividends, but their future growth would be higher. They would have been wrong, but they would have assumed the future growth was higher because they were doing this new thing. Mm. Um, the fact it's not means that you don't say, well, the dividends are this, therefore growth is lower. But the two tend to correlate because, to Andrew's point, there's not many investment opportunities. So the free cash flow growth will be slower than might otherwise be the case in a high growth business. They're paying some dividends, but the dividends is the after effect, as Andrew said. It's the it's the what do you do with what's left over mm. rather than what do you put into the in the valuation. So ignore it, in my view. Um, the one that would just simply just remind yourself if you if you have a high dividend business and you're factoring in a high growth rate, probably one of those is going to be wrong. Yeah. Not, not entirely can be the case but generally speaking just be careful of that but yeah it's, it's the after effect so ignore dividends altogether there are um, what's the dividend it's different dividend valuation model or something is that what's that thing called oh it's gonna it's called the Gordon growth model That's and there's it. there's a derivation as so you can get, get Wikipedia it you'll find a really full-on explanation but the nice easy <laughs> rule of thumb is is what you do is you take the yield so mm-hmm. let's say your company is yielding four percent at the moment and then you add to that how much you think the dividend can grow on average. So let's say you think yeah. the company can increase the dividend by 6% each year. So 4% plus 6% is 10%. It'll work out on average over time that your, your total return will be about 10%. So it's a really, it's a really nice valuation method. Uh, it's terrible for growth companies. <laughs> it's, it's awful. <laughs> it's for, terrible if you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's terrible if you're like all, like all models. Yep, but if yep. you've got a very mature... <laughs> We were talking about Harvey Norman before off air, right? So yep. they're offering about, what'd you say, 8% or something at the moment? 7.97% so, fully franked. Yeah. So let's I let's own ig- shares for full disclosure. Let's ignore let's ignore franking credits just for the yep. keep it easy. Yep. You're if you're saying as an investor, I'm making this up, you 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 might have different benchmarks. But if, if for the sake of example you feel as though ten percent average annual return be pretty decent, mm-hmm. your question when looking at a business like Harvey Norman is do I think that they can maintain that, continue to pay out that dividend and grow that mm. by about 2% mm. per year? Uh, and if you think the answer is yes, you'll probably get a 10% return. Now, that obviously, day-to-day, week-to-week, year-to-year, that's going to be yeah. all over the place. Roughly the share over price average is, over time. But, yeah. it, but on average, roughly yeah. over time. And it's a really, really nice way of doing it. So yeah. it, I, I've often said, when I, when I ran those dividend services, I often thought that the best dividend companies were the lower-yielding ones. So I'd often choose companies that have a 3% yield over a 7% yield. And people would look at you as if you were crazy, like, wait, it's a dividend service. <laughs> but and, but the, the, there was a lot of great examples. I haven't looked at it for a while, but a lot of great examples you could point to. It was like, yep. actually, it was companies like Flight Center and that, that had far, they, that over a 10-year period, the income that they actually delivered was far superior to something of a, a, that had a far higher starting yield. So the, the second company just paid 6 7% each and every year. And that's great. It's a really high yield. But what, what these other companies did, they had, yeah, it was only 2%, but then they grew the dividend by 10 or 15% each year. It didn't, yeah, it didn't so. take long to overtake it, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so you, it, and, and that's why that Gordon growth model formula works really, really, really well. It wasn't, don't, this is the mistake all income investors make. They just look at the mm-hmm. yield. Look at the yield, mm-hmm. absolutely. And then ask yourself, is that sustainable? That's very important. <laughs> and then add to that how much you think that can grow on average. And that, that, that summation is the really interesting part. I like that, Matt. It's a really good summary. And speaking of summations, we have just hit almost the hour mark. As desperately as I want to ask you the next question, I am also smart enough to know that it'll extend the podcast by about 20 minutes. <laughs> it's not on Bitcoin, so I'm going to refrain. <laughs> we're going to keep this one up our sleeves and we're going to ask it next week. Um, mate, thank you for spending another hour with me. I enjoy it immensely every time and I'm sure our listeners do too. So thank you for spending your time with me. Um, remember, Pleasure. as I've, I'm going to start doing it again as I did a couple of months ago, I'm going to wait twice in four months which is a bit bloody um, over the top but we, we missed out on holidays for a couple of years so we had a catch up holiday in April uh, we're going away again heading bush again in, in June and July heading back out to southwestern and then uh, western Queensland so looking forward to that we are going to pre-record some episodes including some mailbag episodes so if you have a question you want to have answered now is a very 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 good time to get it in because we are going to pre-record some if there's anything on your mind right now thinking oh, I've always wanted to ask that or maybe we said something in this episode that prompted you 
you to have a have a thought, maybe ask a question, even make a comment. I had a couple of comments. I was going to add that in as well. If there's too. a challenge, I think they're always interesting Ooh. as well. We don't want to have a fight, obviously, but I mean, they they really I really enjoy those ones where someone said, "Oh, you said that," and I've got a different view. They they're great. So let us let totally. us know. Yeah. Love it, and it also yeah it adds, adds to the conversation, makes it a richer richer topic and richer richer. And then we'll tell you why um, you're wrong. <laughs> I was about to say we don't know everything, but apparently we do. So uh, we will exactly we will tell you why you're wrong. And we, unless Andrew thinks that you're right, and I think you're wrong, in which case you're definitely wrong. Uh, or the converse might also be true. Uh, yeah, hit, hit us up. Uh, the usual suspects. I will give you the details one more time because uh, I don't expect that. I have committed to memory, but I imagine you probably haven't, and that's okay. Uh, so if you want to send us an email, info, I-N-F-O, at fool.com.au, let our hardworking team of member services know it's a podcast question, and they will send it through to us, as they did with some of the questions we answered today. I also took some questions from Twitter and from Facebook. If you're on Facebook, go to facebook.com slash Money. Send me a direct message there or uh, facebook.com slash The Motley Fool Australia. You can DM us there as well. If you're on Twitter, it is the only place, as I say most weeks, you can get Andrew Page live and exclusive on Twitter at Sage underscore Simeon and at uh, Strawman Invest is the Strawman Twitter page. If you're on Twitter or Insta, you can use the same handles to get me. That's at TMF Scott P or to get The Motley Fool at The Motley Fool AU on both of those platforms. Well, please do send us some questions, comments, feedback, suggestions, challenges. Uh, I like it. If there's a topic you want us to cover, so here's another thing, right? Um, feel free to suggest topics for coverage. So yeah, there's a question of, you know, what do you think about this thing or what's the answer to that question? It was like, hey, guys, I'd love you to talk about this industry or that metric or this business model or... Not cryptocurrency, anything other than cryptocurrency, for the love of God, people. Uh, but we are going to do a special Bitcoin episode. And as Andrew would happily say, crypto is not Bitcoin. What was the meme you sent me on, on Twitter? Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a Star Trek meme and like someone saying, are you are you two friends? And crypto ah, is right. like, yes. And Bitcoin is like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. If you have a question about that, feel free to, to actually don't. No, do. Do, do, do. Uh, we, will, we will do a special episode on Bitcoin, which I'm actually really looking forward to despite my usual protestations and pretend uh, <laughs> angst about this sort of stuff. So I'm yeah. going to orange pill you, as they say. I don't even know what that is. Uh, you will. <laughs> oh, dear. Wish me luck. Wish me luck. And until next week, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.